FM. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book, Stephen Kravitz. We've <clears throat> got a full uh, program for today. And I'm going to start off with uh, 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 a date that we missed last week. Uh, last week was the on the 4th of July was American Independence and then we'll go on to something this week today is the 14th of July which is Bastille Day in France so to start off the show we look at one book and it's called American War Novel by Omar El Akkad and then we'll cross the Atlantic and go to France and look at two French novels for the uh, beginning of today's show at at uh, 11:30 we will be joined in the studio by Tracy Schwarzer from Jonathan Ball Publishers Tracy's been on the station many times before and she brings with her an amazing list of uh, books that are currently available and a few things to look forward to for the rest of the year from Jonathan Ball Publishers now American War <coughs> This is a book that has created a huge amount of uh, interest and discussion, especially in America itself. It's a novel, and it's published in uh, by Picador, and it's written by Omar El Akkad. Uh, Omar El Akkad was born in Cairo, grew up in Qatar, and he then went to Canada, where he became a journalist. And when I talk about the book a bit more, we'll see the type of stories that he covered as a journalist. The book itself is a bit dystopian. It's set in the future uh, when America is riven by a second civil war. The book is so topical today because it takes current uh, political ideologies in America and it really tries to read them to the nth degree and what will happen, it's a possible reading of what can happen to America with the ideological checkmate that's very very strident Republicans and very very determined Democrats when they square off against each other where this could possibly lead and uh, it looks at an apocalyptic view of the future which is why it is so topical today in a very, very polarized America. Uh, across the pages of this book rages the clash that many Americans are speculating about America's future based on what's happening currently in the Trump, in the Trump presidency. A nation which is riven by irreconcilable ideologies, alienated by entrenched suspicions. But... In El Akkad's dystopian vision, these differences have led once again to secession and internecine warfare. The mainspring of this imagined future clash is not race and slavery, but the environment and science. We learn that as climate change ravaged the earth, intelligent societies began to abandon fossil fuels and then totally ban them outright. But the American South, it's always the American South in these type of uh, books, clung to its peculiar institution of venerating oil and petrol, kept pumping, excavating, and burning. As El Akkad, the author, tells, tells it, that, that act of rebellion in the American South called down the North's wrath, which, when the novel opens, has sparked a civil war and devastating biological weapons attacks 
that have reduced the U.S. to a fractured third world power. Elokad arrived at his story in a rather roundabout way that gives him a bracing perspective on the America that he's writing about. As I said, he was born in Egypt, in Cairo. He was raised in Qatar, in one of the Gulf states. He became a Canadian-based journalist, a job that took him to conflicts as varied as the wars in Afghanistan, the Arab Spring in his birthplace, Egypt, and the protests in Missouri, in Ferguson, Missouri. Currently, he lives with his family in Oregon, but this type of work that he's spent years covering have made him an expert on current-day repression and resistance and a student of history. The American war he creates in this novel is an unsettling amalgam of 19th century hatred and 21st century technology. The war between the states is amplified by the wonders of modern engagement to claim tens of millions of victims. Although such a cataclysmic story might suggest a sprawling epic, El Akkad keeps his novel focused on the members of one ill-fated family in Louisiana, starting in 2075, when the country is enjoying a fragile, if sometimes violated, peace. Sarat Chestnut lives with her parents and siblings in a corrugated steel container salvaged from a shipyard, where supplies periodically arrive from the new superpowers in Asia and North Africa. Hearing rumours of a good job, her father has plans to move the family north for a better life. But when those dreams are brutally shattered, Sarat and his siblings are reduced to the status of refugees within their own ebbing nation. These sections are very powerful and they're quite horrifying as well, and they're clearly informed by El Akkad's journalistic reporting from some of the world's most desperate people. From the refuse of camp of war and scraps of charity, Sarat and her fellow survivors manufacture a grotesque life, <clears throat> trying to live as normally as they can, but the efforts are constantly interrupted by fresh outra- outrages. These wounded souls are trapped between warring factions, exploited for propaganda, used as human shields and recruited recruited for suicide missions. We'll continue discussing this book, American War, by Omar al-Akkad, straight after this ad break. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. The United Sisterhood will be holding their annual book sale this Sunday, 16th of July. The book sale will be held at Bait Emanuel Synagogue, 38 Oxford Road, corner 3rd Avenue, Parktown. Time from 9.30 to 12.30. We're looking at a book called American War. It's made quite a big impact in America on its release late last year, beginning of this year. It's written by Omar El-Akkad. He's an Egyptian who's made his way to America via Canada. He's a journalist. It's set in the future, in a dystopian future. America is wracked by civil war. And we'll continue the discussion right now. Elaka demonstrates a profound understanding of the corrosive culture of civil war, the offenses that give rise to new hypocrisies and mythologies, translating terrorists into martyrs and acts of despair into feats of heroism. Sarat Chestnut, the main character, learned that, this is a quote, learned that to survive atrocity is to be made an honorary consul of the Republic of Pain. Ella Kadratz, 
and he illustrates how resentment ferments in boredom to produce an acid that can poison any piece. But the story is always Sarat's. Elakad has done nothing less than reveal how a curious girl evolves into a pitiless fighter. Her change appears subtle when you go from page to page, month to month in her life, but by the time you get to the transformation at the end, it's quite shocking. Rage wrapped within itself around her like a tourniquet, he writes, keeping her alive even as it condemned a part of her to atrophy. That transformation feels all the more horrifying because we sympathize with her so deeply and feel so viscerally the outrages she endures. El Akkad never apologizes for Sarat's acts of retribution, but he draws us into the murky moral realm of her justice, a place ploughed by murder and seeded by torture. This is American War. It's a novel by Omar El Akkad. Discussing it, it's it's a new release. It's available in the shops at the moment. It was it was released in America to a huge amount of uh, critical acclaim and sparked discussions about the possible end Amer- the end point of an American Trump president presidency. Is available in the shops. It is quite a powerful read, dystopian, but it's adult dystopian, not uh, necessarily um, young adult dystopian. Now, moving from America across the Atlantic, I said, as I said, today is the 14th of July, so it is Bastille Day in France, and I've got two French books. Well, yeah, two French, two books about France. The first one is one of those charming French. Uh, well, it's not actually French. Written by a British, a British woman who um, spent time in France. This is called These Dividing Walls. It's by Fran Cooper, published by Hodder and Stoughton. Fran Cooper grew up in London before reading English at Cambridge and art history at the Courtauld Institute of Art. It's a beautiful, uh, there's a beautiful museum, art, muse, art gallery at the Courtauld and also have a research institute attached. She spent three years in Paris writing a PhD about traveling 18th century artists and currently works in the curatorial department of a London museum. And These Dividing Walls is her first novel. In a forgotten corner of Paris stands a building. Within its walls, people talk and kiss, laugh and cry. Some are glad to sit alone while others wish they did not. A woman with silver blonde hair opens her bookshop downstairs. An old man feeds the sparrows on his windowsill. And a young mother wills the morning to hold itself at bay. Though each of these walls touches someone's, someone else's, the neighbors they pass in the courtyard remain strangers. Into this courtyard arrives Edward, still bearing the sweat of a, Chanel, of a British Chanel channel crossing he takes his place in an attic room to wait out his grief but in distant corners of the city as paris is pulled taut with summer heat there are those who meet with a darker purpose as the feverish metropolis is brought to boiling point secrets will rise and fall and walls will crumble both within and without number 37 now some of the characters we meet there's the British man Edward, who's trying to escape his past, he meets Cesar, who's hiding secrets from his wife. There's Anae, who is crumbling under the pressure of caring for her young children. 
and Madame Marine, whose husband turns a blind eye to her nocturnal outings. One of the things that make these dividing walls such a compelling read is the three D, the three dimensional nature of the characters, which just keeps pulling you into the book. The this it's these dividing walls. This is not the Paris you know, but it's a Paris that pulls you in. It's along the lines of the elegance of the hedgehog, a type of a book, but I suppose with a lot less of the philosophy. But it's the real lives of Parisians living in one building in quite a heated summer. Now, the next book we're looking at from France is called The French Art of War, and it's by Alexis Genie. Now, this book is actually quite a... Um, it's, it's quite a storied book because it was the winner of the the Prix Goncourt uh, in, nine, tw- in in twenty eleven. It's only been translated into English now. Uh, any book that wo- wins the pre uh, the pre the the Prix Goncourt, it's the Goncourt Prize, is France one of France's great literary awards. And a book that wins this prize generally stands a great a good chance of selling in excess of 400,000 copies. The author Alexis Jenny is a school teacher and he he, he with the time he won this prize he said he he viewed writing he was a Sunday writer he'd write on Sundays but this book catapulted him into the elite ranks of French authors. Now this is uh, just a short little taste of the French art of war. This is a quote from the book. I watched the ballet of bombs over Baghdad, those fantastical fireworks with their greenish trails, and in doing so learned that modern warfare is conducted in the glow of computer screens. I saw the faint grey outlines of buildings shudder into focus, only to explode, destroyed from within and everyone inside. Now, End of quote. Now we're going to 1991. A young man holed up in his apartment is watching the shock and awe of Desert Storm, forging sick notes to avoid work, mesmerized by the rolling news, the spellbound yet increasingly numb. He gradually sabotages his whole life. Fired from his job, his relationship in ruins, and he reaches rock bottom. Then he decides to return to his hometown, Lyon. There, at a local market, he meets Victorian Salano, an elderly artist, a veteran of so many wars that have merged into one, a man as accomplished with a brush as he is with a semi-automatic. Together they strike a bargain. Salano will teach the young man the art of the brush. In return, he wants the story of his life to be written. So Salano begins his tale from a teenage resistance against the Nazis in occupied France, France through the hunting rebels in French Indochina and engaging in torture in Algeria, he puts words to the deaths that are as numberless as they are meaning senseless. He reveals the killing fields on which the modern world is built. Spanning half the world and half a century, the French art of war is a humane, horrifying and blistering account of colonialism and conflict. The uneasy intervals of peace and the moments of unspeakable savagery that have shaped a modern continent and its many discontents. This is the prize-winning French novel, The Art 
The French Art of War by Alexis Jenny. It's published by Atlantic Books. It won the, the Prix Goncourt in France in 2011, and now it's available in English. And I'll just read two um, reviews that the book received straight after this ad break when we return to people of the book. The best part of your day. At the heart of your community. All the talk. All the music. All the news. Hi, FM. This is People of the Book. It's Stephen Kravitz. Because today is Bastille Day in France, we're looking at two books set in France. One, Fran Cooper's These Dividing Walls, which uh, is an English novel. Fran Cooper is British, and that was set in a building in France, and the people in the building over a very hot, fevered summer. The second book is actually a French novel in the true tradition of French novelists, huge amounts of philosophy and looking at the meaning of not so much life here, but the meaning of war. It's called The French Art of War. It won the, the, the Prix Goncourt in France in 2011. It's by Alexis Genie. And there's two, um, two, two, two more things on this, on this novel. Le Monde, uh, one of the great newspapers of the world, uh, the French newspaper Le Monde, wrote, The novel is naturalistic in its approach, muscular in style, exhilarating as a song, inspiring as a meditation that never falters, harrowing as a forensic report, a dazzling modern version of Aubinet's tragic tra- uh, tragedies and then le figaro the other great french newspaper one of the other great french newspapers wrote the french art of war is a masterpiece it is the hidden face of france it is a scene left on the cutting room floor by coppola in uh, apocalypse now literature exalts the soul when it succeeds as this novel does Literature does the work of God. So there's very high praises for the book, The French Art of War. Now, the next book we're going to look at is, uh, we'll keep with our war theme, but we'll go to a much much more topical and current war. This is called The President's Garden. It's by Mousin al-Ramli, and it's published by Mackley House, which is uh, the publisher of great Trans, great literary, literary fiction in translation. So you know exactly what you're going to get when you pick up a Mackley House book, something of great quality. Might be written originally in English, but chances are it's in translation. Now this book, The President's Garden, is extremely topical. It's set in Iraq. This is one of the great... This is, I suppose, if you do follow current events and you've been following the wars in Iraq from... 1980 when Iraq launched, uh, declared war on the Iranian revolutionary state uh, this is the great Iranian novel, Iraqi, Iraqi novel that you've been waiting for. Since 1980 the people of Iraq have suffered almost ceaseless war as well as uprisings, repressions, sanctions and conflict related illness The President's Garden published in Arabic in 2012 and now beautifully translated by Luke Leafgren, at last provides us with an epic account of this experience from an Iraqi perspective. If every victim had a book, Iraq in its entirety would become a huge library, impossible ever to catalogue. This is a quote from the novel. The novel belongs to Ibrahim, who is nicknamed The Fated. In his life is narrated in this book in great detail 
and the discovery of Ibrahim's head in a banana crate opens and closes the novel. And that's all in the year 2006. Ibrahim's friends since childhood, Tariq the Befuddled and Abdullah, known as Kafka, are also essential to the story. Tariq the Befuddled is a schoolteacher, a perfumed snappy dresser and a grinning earthy imam. As such, he spared military service and prospers in his village, making necessary accommodations to the ruling system. Abdullah, the Kafka character, is a prince of pessimists who describes contemporary events as ancient, lost, dead history. He's called up in 1988 for the war against Iran, captured and incarcerated as a prisoner of war for the next 19 years with almost 100,000 other Iraqis. In Iran, he is paraded, tortured, starved and lectured on Khomeinism. Prisoners are separated by religious affiliation, but those penitents who adopt the Islamic Republic's ideology are raised up to rule over the unconverted. There are there are no sectarian there, there are no sectarianisms in the narration. The main characters from north of Baghdad are probably Sunni Muslims, but this is knowledge that the author, the reader needs to bring to the book from beyond the text. Their travels through the Iraqi landscapes, beautiful as they are, and the terrible warscapes, convey a clear sense of Iraqi, Iraqi nationhood alongside a sustained disdain for exclusionary and propagandistic nationalism. Another quote from the book is, When I look at the flag of any country, says Abdul on his release, I see nothing more than a scrap of cloth, devoid of any color or meaning. If Abdullah's chief mode is principled nihilism, Ibrahim is Ibrahim's, who is called the fated, is gentle resignation. Everything is fate and decree is his catchphrase, and he names his daughter Kisma or fate, made made sterile by poison gas in the Iran War, lamed during the invasion of Kuwait. He finds a job in the paradisal gardens of the Tartal, that's the president's gardens, in these secret expanses within Baghdad, studded by Saddam Hussein's palaces, the water. In the fountains is mixed with perfume, camels graze beneath rose beds, and crocodiles swim in the pools. Naturally, horrors lurk beneath the surface. A great deal is poured into these characters, and the pages turn with the quick flowing of their lives. The unnamed home village, where every story reaches every ear eventually, is beautifully set. Its characters from the mayor to the herdsman are clearly imagined. A tale of hidden shame forms one of the subplots, domestic confinement mirroring state-organized imprisonment. The plotting is adroit, seasoned by well-placed premonitions, secrets, and revelations. Among the astounding set pieces are accounts of the conditions in occupied Kuwait. The hallucinatory realism pricked with symbolic detail throughout the book reaches a pitch reminiscent of Vasily Grossman as when a wounded Ibrahim lifts his eyes and sees a dog with a human face but then the, 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 the narrative corrects itself no, it's a dog carrying a severed head in its jaws the writing on occasion is Tolstoyan and the 
book is extremely powerful in putting across the suffering of the Iraqi people. The author himself, Musin al-Ramli, now a Madrid-based academic and a translator into Arabic of Don Quixote, is also a star of contemporary Arabic literature. His brother, the poet Hassan Mutlaq, was executed by Saddam Hussein in 1990. This book is a powerful, powerful account of, it's a literary account of life in Iraq from 1980 all the way through to 20, 2006 when the book is set. And it's a, it's a very, very eye-opening account of what it's like to be in a war-scarred country, people just trying to get on and live there. Their, 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 get on with their lives as best as they can. So today we've looked at four books. Of course, last week was uh, the 4th of July. We looked at American War by Omar al-Aqad. Then, because today is Bastille Day, we looked at These Dividing Walls by Fran Cooper, set in contemporary Paris. And then we looked at The French Art of War by Alexis Jenny. And then to finish off that war theme, we looked at The President's Garden by Musin Al-Ramli, Al Ramli, and that's published by Mac Lehouse. And now I'm happy to call into our, into our studio Tracy Schwarzer from Jonathan Ball Publishers and to hear from her all the great titles that, you will, that you've selected to discuss with us for today. Thank you for having me again. It's always an absolute pleasure. Well, as I was driving over, I was listening to you speaking about books about France and Bastille Day, and I was having a quick look at through what I had selected to speak about. And I only have one set in France, but we'll start with that one, even though that is end of August, early September release. But I have just loved the proof copy that was sent through to me. It's a book called Let Us Be True, a novel by Alex Christoffi. And it's in hardback, reasonably priced for a hardback, however. And it's set in Paris shortly after World War II. And it is the story of a man who, along with his mother in the late 30s, managed to escape from Hamburg, Germany, just prior to things becoming impossible for him to escape from Hamburg. And they flee to London where they live. And as the war goes on, they're taking in children from kinder transport. And London becomes his mother's new home. He then signs up to fight in the war as a British soldier and is marching through Germany once the war is over and he passes through Hamburg which is his hometown and there's just nothing left of it it's just been bombed and he doesn't know where home is anymore so on the way back to London on the train he decides London's not home I have no home in Hamburg and he gets off the train in Paris and decides this is where he's going to make his new life and he's a man who's been sort of deeply scarred by the war he doesn't speak like speak about it a great deal and of course now his mother's going mad because she's in London um, and is desperate to know when her boy is coming home and he's just not coming home he's making his life in Paris and yes as I say he's scarred by the war it's a fairly pedestrian life. He goes off to work in the morning and most evenings he stops off at the local pub where 
certainly not in a great part of town and there are a couple of really interesting characters, generally only one woman who sits in the corner. And one night he goes after work to the local pub and he sees a woman's handbag sitting on one of the bar stools and he thinks, goodness, you know, somebody new and clearly they've left it behind in a rush to flee from this dodgy small town pub so he starts rifling through the bag in order to see who it belongs to to see if he can contact the woman and get the bag back to her and from behind him then comes this wonderful one of my new favorite female characters in a book called Elsa who bashes him in the head punches him in the head and so um, Elsa and our protagonist meet and they end up going to dinner that night. She whisks him off to the oldest restaurant in Paris where she orders a bottle of the 1927 red wine because that was the year that he was born and they order the most expensive thing on the menu and he's panicking because he's thinking, goodness, I just, you know, I, I just have a sort of clerk's job and he's thinking he'll work for three weeks perhaps to pay off the debt of this supper but just before the the waiter arrives with the dessert menus Elsa grabs his hand and they run out of the restaurant with the maitre d' screaming after them and she is this woman with just such incredible passion and she takes this quiet damaged man and exposes his life to fun and excitement and she arranges to meet him the next day on the Eiffel Tower and gets him to walk up all the stairs and doesn't arrive and she is just the most wonderful wonderful character but obviously she has her own secrets as you know we all do in life we're multi-layered and it is just the most extraordinarily wonderful book and the Forward reviews for it had compared it to Anthony Dewar's All the Light We Cannot See. There were some fabulous comparisons, some beautiful reviews for it. And as I say, it is it is worth reading just for the heart of Elsa in the beginning, which turns slightly darker as the novel goes on. But it is a wonderful read set in Paris. So that is Let Us Be True by Alex Christophe. Then we're going to jump back a little in time to our new local releases because, as you know, I always find myself ridiculously passionate about our local titles. So I just wanted to speak about what was releasing towards the end of July and going into October, which I might have mentioned beforehand, but they're always worth mentioning again. So the first one that I just wanted to briefly chat about was the new Charles von Onselen. Um Charles is one of... South Africa's foremost historians and respected historical writers. So if you're looking for historical nonfiction about South Africa that is completely immersive, his knowledge is just vast. Um, please do look out for any of the Charles von Onselins, but the new one coming out is a big tome of a hardback called The Cowboy Capitalist. And it is the story of John Hayes Hammond, who was an American who arrived in Johannesburg round about the time of the Jamison Raid. And he brought with him experience from the California Gold Rush and was advising people in this vibrant new city of Johannesburg where there was this huge tension between the Boers and the Eightlanders. And Charles's 
conclusion at the end of this book is a complete rewrite of the history, really, of the Jamison Raid in that he feels that John Hayes Hammond's contribution to what ultimately happened was huge and that John Hayes Hammond's very American style of life and living is far more the character of Johannesburg than of a little London or a little Britain. So Johannesburg having this character of a city of gold in the wild west of the day. And this is a period that Charles has written about quite regularly in Showdown at the Red Lion, um, where again the founding of Johannesburg. So his knowledge is just vast and the connections that he makes, it's, it is just so worth a read. Any Charles van Onselen is worth a read. So that's Cowboy Capitalist and that is releasing end of July or early August. And we'll take an ad break and we'll be back with more Jonathan Ball titles straight after we've paid the rent. It's People of the Book, Stephen Kravitz here, and we've got Tracy Schwarzer in from Jonathan Ball Studio, uh, Jonathan Ball Publishers, and we are hearing about great, so far, um, well, at the moment, one book to come out later this year let us be true by alec christophe christophe and then the new charles van onselen which is called the cowboy capitalist now, he is great i've interviewed him on the radio before and whatever he whatever he writes really grips absolutely then john leband who's another incredible south african historian who's been researching the zulu nation for oh goodness 30 plus years, John has a new book coming out called The Assassination of Shaka Zulu. Uh, probably the best known of John LeBan's books is a book now out of print that I'm desperate to get back in print called Rope of Sand that was a full history of the Zulu nation. This is looking very specifically at Shaka's assassination and the political climate at the time, what was going on that led up to the assassination, also what was going on personally, because that was after Nandi had died and Shaka was unraveling to a greater or lesser extent. But again, incredibly compelling history by an absolute expert on the subject. Then I'm going to actually jump to some fiction coming out Again, end of July, early August. And I do think we... I'm actually going to start because I saw this morning on Twitter, so I think we're going to get it a lot earlier than we thought. Um, Boris Johnson's father, would you believe it, is a thriller writer. Um, Political thrillers in the line of a John le Carre. So he has a new novel coming out called Compromat, and... Boris Johnson's dad is Stanley Johnson. And I was having such a chuckle this morning because I hadn't looked to see what he looked like. But the launches were taking place in the UK 
last night, I think, the first launch. And here's the absolute splitting image of Boris with slightly yellower blonde hair, but again with the slightly wild hair. And apparently Stanley has spoken beforehand about not necessarily being particularly mad about his son and his politics and his outspokenness, uh, that he writes these political thrillers. And Compromat is a, a novel looking at the Russian involvement in the Brexit vote. And I, I I was curious at the time when I was looking at the book how much inside information he could possibly have. And yes, I, it's just an, an interesting book and fascinating to have Boris Johnson's dad writing novels while Boris writes... Non-fiction. <laughs> and under, under arts, he, he, well, not under arts, but he writes towards England's Brexit. Exactly, exactly. This is a family affair. <laughs> clearly, clearly. Um, alrighty, then on to another novel, if I may, beautiful novel called Bedlam Stacks by Natasha Pulley. It's Natasha's second novel. Um, her first was a beautifully packaged book, beautifully written, called The Watchmaker of Filigree Street. Um, wonderfully charming, beautiful writing, and a perfect encapsulation of life in London, our, the feeling of a city. Now, Bedlam Stacks is similar in its beautiful packaging, beautiful words, and a little bit of quirk, a little bit of magic realism, but it's set in two worlds, the one being colonial Britain, where the colonial powers are traveling around India, around Africa, and their soldiers are dying of malaria, and they desperately need the cinchona bark from, or they need the quinine from the cinchona bark from the cinchona trees that are growing in Peru. So you have Peru with its sort of ancient, colorful, hot lively feeling and then the rather sort of stifling British colonies these two stories two countries that come bumping up against each other because um, this chap from the colonial office is sent to go and negotiate with the shaman in Peru about getting access to the cinchona plantations which are protected and it is just wonderfully, wonderfully quirky if you I'm trying to think of a comparison. There's oh, the comparison is the watchmaker of Filigree Street, but wonderfully written, charming. You'll love Bedlam Stacks. And then the next one I wanted to mention was it's also a novel. It's called Court of Lions, and it's written by Jane Johnson. Now Jane is um, what's George R. R. Martin's editor. So a woman of huge intellect, George R. R. Martin, wrote the Game of Thrones books, and they are colossal. There must be three, four hundred characters in all of the books. They're set in different parts of an imaginary world. So for Jane to be able to edit this and hold all the storylines in her head, she is clearly a really smart woman. And then write her own novels at the same time. Exactly. Well, she's actually written nonfiction under a pseudonym. This is her actual name. She is actually Jane Johnson and this is her novel and it's a historical novel set 
in Spain, or they're two parallel stories running in different times in Spain. One is a contemporary story where a woman who is living under an assumed name in Granada is in the palace of the Alhambra one day and she's scratching behind a crumbling brick on the wall and out falls this note written in a code that ultimately turns out to be a love letter that was written hundreds of years beforehand during the court of the last Moorish king. So that is the other story. And when I had first looked at the book, I thought, oh, this is wonderful historical fiction and the Alhambra and Spain and Granada and Moorish kings and love letters, wonderful. But when I actually read the book, there is a huge thriller aspect to it as well to keep the pages turning because there is a very real reason why she is hiding out in Spain under an assumed name and she's one of a twin and her twin is in London still communicating with her about the man that is after them. It is just a wonderful book that has so many aspects to it and and it is very beautiful to look at too. So that's Court of Lions set in and around the Alhambra. Um, Just a quick, quick mention in terms of great book club reads. There's a new Fiona Walker out. She's I, I suppose almost a Marion Keys meets Julie Cooper. Just a really light, wonderful read. The new one is called Country Set. It's coming out in trade paperback. And they're just really wonderful escapist reads. This one is set in um, sort of mink and manure set. And a wonderful book club choice. And you know what you're getting with it. And you will be happy with what you get. Um, One more, if I may, which has been my favorite thriller probably of the last 10 years or police procedural. It's a first novel. um, And Sophie Hanna, who is a thriller writer herself and who is rewriting the Agatha Christie series, is absolutely raving about this book by Kristen Lepionka. Um, it is an incredibly self-assured debut police procedural with the most compelling female detective character. And it's not very often that I am moved by a thriller or moved by any book to tears, actually. But when I finished this one, I was sobbing on a Saturday afternoon. I let me get to the plot in a minute, perhaps. Yeah, we'll get to the plot. What's the book called? Uh, oh, sorry, the last place you look. The last. We'll get to the last place you look. It might not be the last book we get to today. <laughs> straight after this ad break. A frequency like no other. One hundred one point nine High FM. This is People of the Book, and we are sitting here enthralled with this, by the storytelling power of Tracy from Jonathan Ball. We're looking at a book called The Last Place You Look, but we've looked at so many other great ones. We've looked at the new Fiona Walker country set, Court of Lions by Jane Johnson, uh, Bedlam Stacks. We've looked at the, the, the new political thriller by 
um, Boris Johnson's father, Stanley Johnson, called Compro- Compromat. The, and in South African books, we've looked at Charles von Onselin's new, soon to be released, uh, History of Johannesburg, The Cowboy Capitalist, and John Lebra- John LeBan's The Assassination of Shah Kazulu, and also Alex Christophe's uh, Let Us Be True. So it's, it's a great list. It's going to be keeping all of our readers very, very busy yes, in their book clubs. I'm, I'm going mad in terms of range this week because wonderful. there's so many wonderful things coming. Wonderful. It's hard to leave any out. Let's hear more about The Last Place You Look. Okay, so Last Place You Look, best thriller I've read in a decade. And it's it's a debut. Um, it is... It features a female PI who's just such a wonderful, complex, conflicted character. Um, and her father was uh, an investigator in the police force. He has recently died. She felt she was constantly a disappointment to him. And so she has this, yes, there are, there are depths to her. There are layers. She's slightly scratchy around the edges. Um, And she's called by a woman whose brother is on death row in the States. He's a black man who 15 years beforehand has been had been convicted of killing his white girlfriend's parents. Um, That night, that his girlfriend's parents were killed, the girlfriend also disappears. She hasn't been seen since. Nobody's found a body. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what happened to her. And the sister of the man on death row, whose execution date has now been set for two weeks' time, phones the PI because she is absolutely convinced she has seen this ex-girlfriend, the daughter of the parents who were murdered in the town, this little town that they lived in. She's convinced she has seen her getting out of a pickup truck at a petrol station. And the story follows from there. But there are just really original twists. The characters are really likable. I just so hope that this becomes a series of crime novels. And if you buy yourself the last place you look for the book club, for a holiday read, if you want one as we're, you know, entering the depths of winter, uh, you will not be disappointed. Great, great police procedure. We have time for one more book, but a short review of one more book. Okay, let's have a quick look at what's coming next then. The Luster of Lost Things by Sophie Chen Keller, which I've sort of, it's not going to be a book necessarily that will appear on booker lists, but it was just incredibly charming and reminded me a little bit of the Mitch albums in that it makes you feel warm and fuzzy. It's about this little boy who can't speak. There's nothing wrong with his brain. There is just something wrong with the mechanics in terms of how his brain and his mouth communicate. So he stays with his mother. He's a, he's a youngster in this bakery that she owns and she makes these incredible creations that are slightly magical. So it's a little bit like chocolat where there's a little bit of love heart in the food. 
And because he doesn't speak, he listens and he notices things. He listens and he sees. And as a result, he can find lost things. Um, so he tracks people down who put up the missing posters and finds their things. And he sets off on a, an adventure in search of a missing book. And it can be a little bit cheesy at times where I thought, oh, goodness, why am I loving this so much? It's like drinking condensed milk. But it was an absolute treat. And I, the first night I picked it up, I was up till one o'clock in the morning in order to get 200 pages in. It is, it is divine. That's The Lost, Luster of Lost Things. Again, it's a first novel by Sophie Chen Keller. And there we go. That's this almost the end of the show. I'm just going to say that everything that I've spoken about today and everything that Tracy's mentioned, I'm going to post on our Facebook page. You go to Facebook, you go into People of the Book on 101.9 High FM, and you'll find the lists of all the books that have been mentioned on this show, both by myself and guests like Tracy. Tracy's previous lists are all there from Jonathan Ball. You'll find everything there when you're having a book club meeting or when you're going to the bookshops. Just have your smartphone out, bring up our Facebook page, and you'll, you can't go wrong in terms of good recommendations of what to read. And until next week, it's Shabbos and keep reading.